This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. TD Ameritrade is reinventing how you invest. Whether you want to place a trade on Facebook Messenger or get market news from your smart speaker, TD Ameritrade has everything you need to invest on your terms. See what's new at tdameritrade.com innovation. It's Tuesday, August 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio, for the first time in a long time, Thank goodness he's back. Seth Jason, good to see you. Hello. I, I was thinking of doing the Lenny and Squiggy, the, the Squiggy hello, but I didn't know if I could pull it off and if I could, if anyone would recognize it. Uh, that's, that's definitely skewing old for our audience. <laughs> uh, we've, got, uh, we've got some earnings. We've got retail. We've got real estate. Let's start with Home Depot, which had a rough spring. but That's real estate and retail right there. Exactly. Summer's looking good for Home Depot. Second quarter profits came in higher than expected. Overall sales, just north of $30 billion, and their same-store sales, impressive. Yeah, and it's odd the the real estate market isn't so great, and so a lot of the home improvement, especially the smaller uh, outfits, seem to to be a little bit more directly linked to that market. Home Depot just seems to be able to keep selling stuff uh, in any climate, at least for the past few years. You got a, a, a comparable sales. Uh, store figure of something like up eight percent, and the guidance for the full year is going to be like five point three percent. That's pretty strong. A lot of companies aren't doing that <laughs> right now, and Home Depot, of course, is big enough to actually take advantage of that. Uh, the other thing that uh, I haven't heard the call yet that is probably still working really well for them. We've talked about this is the online sales. They're one of the I won't say few, but they're one of the better uh, retailers out there. Uh, Equipped nowadays to to do the internet and the app thing. In other words, uh, order order stuff from Home Depot online rather than going to Amazon. And uh, I think part of that strength is that I believe uh, not too long ago they said that about forty or forty six percent of their online sales were actually in store pickup, which to me makes sense. There's a lot of things you you don't want to really wait for in the mail necessarily, but you don't really maybe want to walk around the Home Depot picking out. So you make the order and then you show up a few hours later and just drop it in your car. It's a lot easier. So these are I mean that's a really smart way for them to expand their business and you know another billion or so bucks a year in sales. That helps. Well, and they've I've done a little bit of online shopping with them and I can tell you just from my experience they've improved. They have worked to improve the online shopping experience just in terms of cuz there're so many things that they sell. So just in being able to more quickly help people like me whittle down the choices and find what you're actually looking for. I think I'm actually going to make an online purchase from them in the next week or so. I need a small bandsaw, and like getting it in store seems like a pain. It's kind of heavy. I'm not sure exactly which I need a separate blade for it. I can take care of some of those problems online, just show up, throw it in the trunk of the car, and leave. One other thing I want to call out from their quarter was um, the average ticket, which is something we don't talk about all that often uh, with retail or restaurants, but that's uh, a metric that's important. And it's basically the average person in this quarter, what are they spending? And in the case of Home Depot, their average ticket sale ticked up a little bit to $66. Yeah, and of course if you can get that average ticket up, you have there's a little less pressure to bring people in through the door. It's best if you can do both. But it's always good to see uh, average ticket going up because if you're bringing in more people, but uh, it's because you are, uh, you know, throwing in doorbuster sales or something, your average tickets go down, then that can hit you and your profitability. So they're they're just doing a great job. 
They really are. And the stock, again, they, they had a rough spring. We saw that with, with a lot in this space. And the stock is still up about 26% over the last year. Does, when you look at this stock, does it look expensive? Or do you think this thing's still got plenty of room to run, especially given how they're operating? Who would have thunk it? I wouldn't have thunk it. I should have thunked it. I would, I would, say, I, I would say you're probably OK if they keep going like this. Last week on the show, we talked about Zillow. Uh, we should also mention Redfin, uh, which reported their second quarter results recently. Redfin and had a similar suffered a similar fate. They did, although not quite as bad. I mean, they they put up good numbers. Redfin skews more towards the luxury uh, market of real estate, and it's it's a different business too. So Redfin, for those who don't know, is it, Zillow sort of like search and ads for the most part, right? Redfin is really operating a nationwide brokerage predicated on search, but then their hook, their real hook, is that they are going to save you a bunch of money because they uh, have they offer uh, lower commissions, so you can save you know six figures on sell, uh, selling or buying a house. Uh, but uh, so they had you know like a thirty percent revenue increase uh, for the quarter. You'd think that would be great, uh, but Redfin, um, unlike Zillow, I'm going to say, is fairly candid about what's going on in the business. And they said, listen, the market the last few weeks has been bad. I think they said, well, we had one okay week and three crummy weeks. Uh, good for them for saying that. Uh, but the stock was down. Early the day of the earnings, and I looked and I read the report and I thought, oh, that's not so bad. It was down, I don't know, five, six, seven percent. And then I came in on Monday and saw that it had flopped like 22 percent. Everyone freaked out at the end of the day. Um, so I think that uh, this has ramifications for both Zillow, uh, who for some reason didn't mention this. I don't know if they didn't see it or they just thought maybe we won't talk about it, uh, as well as Redfin. Um, uh, it's it's going to I think it's going to be a problem for the near term uh, until at least we get some clarity. Right now, uh, the Redfin has been talking for a couple of quarters about house uh, housing supply being really low, and they are having a tough time being agents the, themselves. They know this a little bit better than maybe Zillow, having a tough time uh, helping people find houses to buy, and so um, they've they've kind of doubled down on costs. They're Putting fewer agents uh, or putting fewer customers per agent, and so on, and so this is going to be a tough business for a while, at least until we see what happens with housing. Their housing prices are high in markets like ours and some others, and I guess apparently shoppers have finally said we're not paying that. Well, and as as you said, I mean the the quarter itself for Redfin was good, and if they had maybe not had a conference call at all, maybe the stock wouldn't have taken the hit. But as you said, uh, Glenn Kelman, who's the CEO. Wasn't really pulling any punches and and just said very matter of factly, look, buyer demand is waning. It's just that simple. Yeah, and uh, I have a lot of respect for them. I own the shares. I've recommended them, and part of the reason is they are not big on hype. They when they go into a new business, they've been uh, buying homes. They started the business small. They said we're going to make it a full time business, but it's going to still stay small. They don't make a whole bunch of uh, pie in the sky. Total addressable market estimates, the kind I got out of the Zillow call that just make me cringe and say, you just feel kind of you feel gross to me. I feel like I'm talking to a used car salesman here. I mean, I just don't trust the management at Zillow. I don't trust what they're saying. Uh, Redfin seems more trustworthy to me. Well, and and we talked about this last week on the show. I think one of the things working against Zillow is. They made that acquisition of Mortgage Lenders of America. Their track record on acquisitions isn't great. So I, I, I think part of what we saw with the sell-off with Zillow was 
uh, a similar reaction, which is essentially, we don't trust your ability to make acquisitions work. And the reason we don't trust it is because you haven't really done a great job of it to this point. Doesn't mean you can't in the future, but right now your track record is telling us otherwise. Yeah, and then you know I'm recalling from the their calls. Uh, uh, Redfin's also in the origin uh, origination business. Again, a very small effort to see how things go. If you're going to buy a mortgage lender, don't come out and say, "All right, well, let's look at it this way." Home builders have a 75% mortgage origination attach rate. So if we do that times this many homes sold in America, that's you know potentially 800 million dollars a year in revenue. Don't do that. That's nonsense. That's like saying if we can only get one percent of the market in China, we've heard that. That's junk. Okay, come out, tell us the potential synergies. Be realistic. Try being a little humble about it. Doesn't seem to be in their DNA. Quick shout out to TD Ameritrade for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. You're always on the cutting edge of technology, and TD Ameritrade prides itself on being ahead of the curve, too. Their latest innovations put their resources and services on the popular platforms that you carry and use every day. So now, all you have to do to enable the TD Ameritrade skill for Amazon Alexa or message them on Facebook to stay on top of the markets, you can learn more about their commitment to innovation at tdameritrade.com slash innovation. Uh, also, while you're there on the Amazon Echo or on the Google Home, you can listen to Motley Fool podcasts. I'm just saying. Um, let's move on. More earnings. And we can listen to you. No, no. We can't? We don't. It doesn't work that way? No, it doesn't work that way at uh, all. I saw the wrong deck at the investing thing. <laughs> uh, shares of Tapestry up 12% this morning. This is the parent company of Coach. Do we need to, yeah. Do we need to tell people who Tapestry is when this came out? I had forgotten that they were Coach, didn't yeah. tell you. It, it, it's recent enough. I always like to remind people. It's, it's the same way with booking holdings. We're booking, it's like, remember, we used to call them Priceline. Now they're booking holdings. Tapestry, parent company of Coach, Kate Spade, and Stuart Weitzman, the company formerly known just as Coach. Uh, good fourth quarter. Decent. Fourth, fourth quarter decent. Yeah. Especially when cruddy had been sort of the norm, right? So, Yes. Although I do, I, like uh, probably you and probably other people, when they did announce the name change, we're, we're changing from Coach to Tapestry. I did have more than a couple of chuckles at that, and I may have possibly mocked them. I, I, in retrospect, I think it's the right move. I, I just think to. it's the right move. It's a different business now is the problem. And, and it's, uh, so instead of just sort of managing coach and trying to find the trends there in, a, I guess, a more limited, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, collection of items, now you're trying to uh, be a warehouse or a small warehouse of brands that all have to do that. And so, um, there's some benefits to that. You can do sort of sort of like this quarter, you can have Kate Spade comps, you know, down or Kate Spade down 3% and Coach up 2% and so, you know, things balance each other out. Uh, it also means there's just more more balls in the air that you're juggling. And so I think it was a good quarter. The margins looked pretty good. Uh, hopefully they can keep the the Kate Spade uh, acquisition rolling along. Stuart Weitzman looks like it's doing okay. I have to admit, I had no idea what Stuart Weitzman even sold until I I did a search. And you can see on the screen of my computer. The rest of you can't. But I was going to say, you know, it's an that, audio podcast. Yeah, right? that's, that's that's Giselle. Uh, no, that's that's a different uh, model. But she's in in this. If you go to the Stuart Weitzman homepage, you might have to shield the computer from your kids because it's a little bit racy. For and somebody who's selling eight hundred dollars suede boots, I was going to say they're, they're selling boots. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, it looks like a good quarter. So hopefully things continue to roll for them. Luxury uh, items have been doing well, and you might say, 
Well, how do you know that? Well, I follow a few, you know, watchmakers like Movado has been doing well of late and others. So people who sell expensive stuff seem to be doing fairly well. I'm not going to say whether that has anything uh, to do with tax policy or anything like that. Well, I mean, but but to that point, I mean, I think I think we've seen this not just with sort of luxury retailers, but even sort of discretionary income companies like, and I put Dave and Buster's in that category. Where I think really they're doing well. Well, I I mean, on balance over the last five years, I think they have, but they're also the ones that I look at that I think when the economy turns south, and at some point it will turn south for enough people that I think the the luxury stocks are maybe the first to suffer. You stop buying uh, Stuart Weitzman boots and you go to Dave and Buster's instead? Could no, be. you stop going to Dave and Buster's too. Oh, geez, that's a, that would be a bummer. Actually, we already no... see that, right? Restaurant stocks in general are, are are kind of suffering right now. So there's a funny thing going on in the economy where a lot of the luxury brands are doing pretty well. And there's so much competition, sort of for low end retail. We've seen just bricks and mortar retailers getting killed. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that, but you know, uh, kind of lower end restaurants, uh, Chewies we mentioned, uh, you know. Doing okay, but not great, and stocks suffering as a result. It's 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 tough out there. Business is tough. Definitely not easy. Um, our final story. I'm sort of tempted to break into applause here for Southwest Airlines because Southwest Airlines announced that it has revised its policy on emotional support animals. Uh, the new policy will uh, be limited to just cats and dogs, one per customer. And the emotional support animals must be in a carrier or on a leash hmm. at all times. So, emotional support turkeys, that's not happening anymore I'm, on Southwest Airlines I'm flights. I'm going to try to take the controversial position and say that I would rather the emotional support turkey than a, a dog that's not actually trained to be out in public, like the ones that have been biting people on airplanes. I'd rather have a turkey crapping on a seat next to me than look <laughs> at someone with a pit bull and go, I wonder if that dog's going to bite me. Have you been on a plane with a, uh, with uh, an emotional support animal? I, I've been I, on I've been on planes with people who had dogs and small carriers before everybody could go or everybody thought to go on Amazon and get a fake service animal vest for their dog just so that they could get their dog on an airplane, which is sort of what this is what, where this has come from. I actually my mom was involved with therapy dogs for a while, so I am a big fan of dogs that are like properly trained and go out and do work. Uh, but you know the problem with the whole emotional support animal uh, trend was that most of this was just people looking to get their pets on airplanes and kind of ginning up a reason to do it. Yeah, once we started seeing reports of, well, this is my emotional support iguana. Yeah, it's like, uh, is it really? Is there like a lot of cuddling that's going on? Yes, yeah, is... you know, I love having my dog in my lap when I watch TV, and I suppose I could say I need him on the airplane, but I really don't. I'd just be lying so I could get my dog on the airplane. Kudos to Southwest Airlines. Interesting to see if other airlines follow suit on this. I mean, certainly I they have to. Southwest has given them cover to do so. Yeah. Seth Jason, thanks for being here. I'm about to go get another turkey. So, <laughs> thank you. Wait, for emotional support or for um, ingestion? Well, we'll see how the turkey behaves. <laughs> As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fooler. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan, pulling double duty this week. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>